Hi everyone, it's Prayer Note. Welcome to Technically Spiritual. I hope that you're staying safe and feeling good. Before I introduce today's episode, I want to remind you to check out technicallyspiritual.com if you haven't already for all things Technically Spiritual. If you want to learn more about the episodes, you can access the show notes. You can sign up for upcoming offerings like meditation classes and community talks. Or if you or someone you know wants to host a digital wellness seminar at work, you can find out all the information about corporate services. We also have a newsletter where you receive practical suggestions that are backed by scientific research for living more mindfully in a digital age beyond turning off your notifications, as well as many other things. If you haven't signed up already, you can sign up through the website and you'll receive a free meditation. All right, so for today's episode, I interviewed Maya Goodka. She is an experienced executive coach who transitioned from consulting and economist roles at Goldman Sachs, PwC, KPMG, to coaching and learning advisor roles. Maya works with the London Business School, researching and implementing programming around executive education leadership. Maya's current master's in positive psychology and coaching psychology informs her coaching work and her Your Plate podcast, as well as various other research and writing topics. We recorded this episode prior to the release of The Social Dilemma film, and this conversation I'm about to introduce is more relevant now in the light of the film, which raised a lot of questions about social platforms and their design. Maya and I discussed that over 50% of us use social media globally, and this is up from 40% pre-pandemic. In the pandemic, social media represents a means of communication and connection for many, as well as a business necessity for many small businesses. So Maya really wants to explore how can we use social media well? How can we use it to serve our psychological well-being and flourishing? This is what Maya is researching. I'm excited to share this conversation I had with Maya when she was in the depths of studying evidence-based approaches to using social media for flourishing. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, here's the episode with Maya Goodko. Hi, Maya. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Hello. Uh, nice to be here from across the pond. There are so many reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show today. I feel like <laughs> we should just get right into positive social media. Can you talk about some of your research in terms of positive social media and, and what that really means? The positive social media, I've sort of come up with this name and I'm going to be putting it forward in this academic paper. There's so much that I've come across that I think is really interesting. So a lot of traditional psychology has looked at deficit. And so there was a sense that, although that's not always the case, there was a sense that there needed to be more of a look at the flourishing and the thriving side and the evidence-based psychology around that. So I would say that's the starting point is that it's about, you know, looking at ways to thrive. So taking strength-based approaches, asset-based approaches, literally as simple as identifying an individual strengths and working with those would be an example. But it looks at loads of different interventions and test them you know, scientifically so that you can say with confidence that there are certain things that are going to be likely to help people thrive in different aspects of their life. So the, again, going back to that notion within positive psychology, the idea here is that 
a lot of a lot of the mainstream noise when it comes to social media, whether it's around mental health or some of the more you know the broader political implications and aspects of social media is always quite negative you know so when you talk about mental health and social media I don't think people would associate that with positive emotions I think they immediately think of some of the uh, negative emotions whether it's the sort of you know narcissism jealousy uh, insecurity depression and that's that's fine and I'm not I'm not ignoring that but that's sort of what's already known What's been really surprising for me is when I've been doing this systematic review of, of the research that is out there, there is so much out there about how social media can positively impact your well-being. And I sort of set myself up to do a systematic review and just pick the few papers that were talking about this. I've ended up with 200. So already oh this is a <laughs> yeah, this is a huge area of research in general, but the specific area in terms of how it benefits people is, is really growing. And that's just what I wanted to look at. I wanted to do a survey of that field in order to then apply some positive psychology frameworks to it so that people actually have a bit more of a blueprint of how to use it in a way that can support flourishing. So that that was that's the concept of positive social media. That's amazing that there's 200 articles that you found about this. <laughs> Two things. One is that I want to know a little bit more about maybe, you know, the top two or three interesting yeah. articles that you found. And then yeah. the second aspect of it is how then do we actually apply that to our own lives and our own use of, of social media? Yeah, I think that that's, that's a great question. So in terms of the top articles, what I would say for me has been interesting. It's been more where I've seen the themes, the recurrent themes or the areas emerging. One thing that has come up repeatedly that I think, you know, in some ways it's quite intuitive, whether social media does or doesn't positively impact your well-being, a massive factor in that is whether one of the motivators or one of the things that happens when you go on is social comparison. So there are a lot of studies uh, that are confirming this, this notion. So if you go on and you end up doing a lot of social comparison, you are likely to have a detrimental impact on your um, well-being as a result of using social media. Once you get into that, you can start to shape how you then choose to use it. So I find that really interesting when it comes to motivators. The other areas, when it comes to the positive areas and how it's contributing positively to well-being, social support and social connection are huge. And again, as I say, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? It seems to work across lots of different types of groups, you know, people with different special illnesses or minority groups that have emigrated to a different country. It just works in loads of different ways in providing social support. So I think that's been consistent finding. And I think that's really interesting because when you then think about how you want to use it, you want to be thinking, how can I make sure that I sort of approaching it in a way that will set myself up for that? The other two areas that seem to come up a lot when it comes to sort of the positive impacts are using it for identity development and identity expression. There are a lot of studies showing how social media, you know, given that it has this sort of visual display, it's not just a messenger service. It allows people to sort of spend time thinking about what their identity is and how they want to communicate that. So that comes up a lot. And then the final one is around learning. And so people using it in different ways for enhancing or facilitating learning. This was based on my initial literature search um, and the patterns that seem to keep emerging. I, I studied a bit of social emotional learning and we talk about this idea of staying in the resilient zone emotionally. Mm. 
as in, you know, not getting too overwhelmed or underwhelmed, right? But staying in a, in a place where you feel good and you feel like yourself. And I think that is what we can strive for while using social media, right? Like if we're, if we're using it to learn and we're using it to actually connect, then we're in that resilient place. But if we're using it to, I mean, not to compare ourselves, but just if that happens as kind of a, a byproduct, then we're going to leave that resilient zone. Yeah. And, and I think it is really to, interesting to think about what mindset are you in when you choose to go onto these platforms? And, you know, if you're feeling perhaps less positive or, you know, less, I don't think we know whether we're feeling resilient or not, but you may be in a more vulnerable state when you go online, then you may end up having a different experience. So I do think that's really important. I think social comparison is a really tricky topic and it comes up in my coaching a lot not in that language but in in the form of people talking about emotions like jealousy and this is actually separate from social media sometimes it, it might involve social media but I think it's it's a fascinating topic and I think actually this is something that social media doesn't always do very well because I certainly see things in my feed saying don't compare yourself to others and it's like as a coach I know that that's just that's not helpful because if you're going to do it you're going to do it you need to actually get underneath that and so if somebody came to me and said, look, this is what's happening to me when I go online, then I would say, okay, well, let's spend some time really dissecting this for you. What does that mean? What is triggering you? What are the things that are provoking some envy in you? Now let's look to how we can harness these constructively for you. And I'd want to be sort of flipping it around because I think it's very difficult to tell somebody who is comparing themselves to stop doing it. I think that's quite a sort of, you know, a difficult ask. So anyway, I just wanted to put, put point out there because I think this is something that's broader than social media it's just a, it's a thing isn't it you know, comparison yeah it's just something that can happen very easily to anybody the other thing I just want to add is that monitoring is another activity that's sort of related to that that has also been found to be associated with less good outcomes in terms of well-being and so I guess you know if you're going online in a, that sort of passive way to look at what others are doing Again, that's coming out as not positively impacting your well-being. So if you, you know, if you're going on, you're saying, I'm actually going on to connect, which means that I want to be seeing these people in my feeds, this, this is what I want to be doing, then you're more likely to not have that kind of experience. If you think I'm just going to go on and browse passively, then you're in some ways having that awareness that you might be setting yourself up for a negative experience. Yeah. I, I also yeah. read an article about mindful scrolling versus mindless yeah. scrolling. Yeah. Just the idea of like, that's the same thing that you mentioned, going on with a purpose and being really present with what you're doing versus that passive experience of just kind of consuming that. Well, exactly. It's kind of like difference. the difference between, you know, sort of having a shopping list at when you go to the store versus just turning up there and being confronted with, you know, the most tempting aisles, which they've deliberately put in front of you. Yeah. And I'm sure most people don't sit there and make a list before they go and browse on social media because it's seen as a bit of a leisure activity. But this is the sort of thing that I want to be encouraging in, you know, and this is what I plan to write about. And when I put this into a book, that the first step is actually thinking about what you want to achieve by going online. So ideally, even if people haven't written out down a list, they've got that intention before they go on. Because, you know, if you go to a supermarket and you're hungry and you haven't got a plan, then you will end up buying you know, more of the junk food. And it's just, I, I think that's those sorts of analogies, you know, when it comes to health and well-being and, and that sort of thing, there's a lot out there, isn't there, about how you can plan and, and make sure that you set yourself up for success. And I guess I want to be thinking about how people can do that digitally and on social media. 
Yeah, I really like that analogy. And I think it makes it really clear for people. Yeah, exactly. So at least two studies I found, mindfulness is another moderator of the impact of social media on your well-being. So uh, they did a study on people in the workplace, and they found that those that were using it, social media in the workplace, those that were higher on the mindfulness, they didn't have burnout impacts, they had positive impacts, whereas those that were lower had more signs of burnout based on their scales. So I think it's just so interesting, the influence, you know, the impact that these other things that we, you know, in positive psychology think are important, like mindfulness, relationships, you know, how much they can actually impact how, how these things affect us. That kind of reminds me of that saying, how you do anything is how you do everything, right? So Mm. like, however, we're going to kind of just be and operate in the world is going to come out in our own experience of, of, of using the technology, I think. Yeah, Um, be magnified. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the other thing that I think is really important when I talk about positive social media, so I think if you want to go and read about why social media is bad for you, I think there's enough out there on that. I think if you want to read about having a detox, there's actually a lot out there about that. And there are some books out there that will help you with that process. So uh, books like Near Ailes from Indestructible, Cal Newport, brilliant on digital minimalism. I think there's a lot of resource, but my, my issue is that more than 50% of the world is on social media. So, and I, I was looking at the stats just again, because I thought what's happened during lockdown. So in, uh, in January, it was something like 45%. And I think it's gone up 10% during this whole pandemic. So more, more people are online on social media than are not in the whole world. And so but when you do go online, you know, what do you have? Um, what resources are there to help you use that time as constructively and positively as possible? And that for me is where I think there could be better information because uh, again, going back to positive psychology, positive psychology is not about deficits, not about sort of looking at the bad and reducing. It's like saying, okay, well, if you're going to go on, that's fine. Let's do it well. And that's, that's the bit that I want to help people with. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to think about it as well. And I've been thinking a lot about this. I just gave up Instagram for a bit, or just, you know, doing a detox on that one in particular, because I found myself not being in that resilient place while I was on okay. it. Yeah. Can I just ask you a little bit more about your decision? I'm really curious because, you know, I, I this is how we connected. We connect. Well, you said you might have come across my, my podcast before, but I know that we definitely had a few really nice interactions via Instagram. Just tell me, tell me a little bit more. I'm just curious about, you know, what made you make, because it's quite a bold decision, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's after Facebook took over Instagram. When that happened, I was like, oh man, like now I have to kind of ethically decide whether or not I should still be consuming this or contributing to their wealth. Yeah. (laughs) That's like one aspect of it. And then the other aspect is really a lot of it was the social comparison and just the fact that I'm a person right now that I'm working towards really deeply understanding my own self and my own identity and breaking out of my shell a little bit more. And I found that Instagram was sort of inhibiting me from feeling like my whole self. On the flip side, I I am, of course, I'm going to miss connecting to, you know, people whose numbers I don't have. And we just had those like brief interactions on Instagram, like you and different types of things. But I I started shifting over towards email, which I I find to be a little bit 
easier for me to connect like one-on-one with people without having that whole social comparison thing, right? Because I'm not seeing their whole entire life or I don't feel like I have to put myself out there in some particular way. It could just be a little bit more authentic. I mean, those are some of the reasons. No, exactly. And I think the other thing is that, you know, I think you might have talked about it as like you're doing it for a year or something. I don't know if you've made it more permanent, but I think there's so much to be said for experimenting, you know? And so, you know, treating it like a big experiment is a great thing. So, you know, you've, you've made some really active decisions. You've been really um, aware of the different elements. And I think the sort of the ethical piece is, is huge. And the question is, you know, what outweighs what? So if you feel that outweighs, you know, anything that you would be doing on the platform, then, you know, I think that that sounds like it's a really sort of a well thought through decision. And I think the mo- most important thing is to have that consciousness and to be not mindlessly doing things. So I think that's great that you've taken that very intentional approach. And and I think as long as we have that mindset, then, you know, these decisions as well, then, you know, nothing is ever permanent but you know just seeing how it goes for you is going to be really cool and you might like you might say oh well I really miss this but actually I'd love so much more you know and I think that's really fun part of exploring you write and you talk about the difference between self-regulation and self-control can you get into this a little bit more and maybe how it relates to our phone use or our technology use in general? Yeah, this is so interesting. So I was interested in self-regulation before I was interested in digital well-being, but you're, you're absolutely right. The two things are hugely connected. So self-control is just in the academic literature is a, is a simpler concept in some ways because it's about whether you have the discipline to do something or not do it. So you could exercise a tremendous amount of control with your phone sitting there and just not pick it up. But you wouldn't have really addressed why you're doing it, your emotions around it, but you would just happen to have used a lot of self-control. Then, you know, when the cookies come out, you'd be like the first person reaching for them because you kind of used up a lot of your self-control. That would be self-control. It would be sort of repressing the desire to do something. Self-regulation, it does encompass like one element of it is self-control. Like you do, you know, people who are endowed with more self-control are going to be better off in overall self-regulation, but it's a broader concept and it has definitely a very close connection to mindfulness. Um, And a huge part of it is being just from an emotional perspective, being able to sort of be aware of and regulate your emotions around something. So then your phone would be there. You'd look at it and you go, oh yeah, that's what I do. When I'm a bit bored or I'm a bit stuck in my work, I reach for my phone. Um, and that would be the first step. And you probably have that away. You'd be like, oh, yeah, happened again. And you sort of build that awareness. And then you reach a point where you'd be like, okay, so what am I going to do? Am I going to pick up my phone? Or am I going to sort of indulge my feelings of boredom and frustration by doing something else, you know, getting up and going for a walk or whatever it is. And suddenly you've got a lot more um, agency in, in your decision. And by you not picking up your phone and doing something that possibly nourishes you more, you've not you've not used up your willpower you've not set yourself back and you've not repressed something you've actually allowed it to exist so that that would be a simple way i hear a lot i don't have self control around my phone yeah. that's why i'm addicted and stuff like that so i think it's really it's an important distinction i just think you know it can take you so far but at some point then people you know might explode and i always think of like the teenagers and think about alcohol and you know when you go to university if it's not been allowed then people go a bit crazy whereas if it's like you know what this has been allowed this is how it works this is how you use it safely i suggest you have it 
a glass of water every other drink, you know, and you, you get better with how you use it rather than it being seen as just something that needs to be reduced and not discussed and not explored. I think it's, it's a little bit like that with self-regulation. So I want to help people build their self-regulation. This comes up obviously massively with leaders in leadership roles. It's all about emotional regulation. Not not to do with phones, but it's a, it's a huge thing. But when it comes to people's relationships with their devices or with certain platforms, it's it's huge because you know they might say to you, "I've got no self control." Then I would say, "Okay, well, what is it that you love about it? Like, what what do you you know what what do you really enjoy doing?" And then I would want to explore what the needs are and what the drivers are, and then figure out you know how we can make that work in a way that is constructive for them. It's adding that intentionality, like you said, adding the mindfulness to it, which leads me to wondering how do you personally go about using your technology and your devices? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's always a journey. Where I am now, it is quite closely tied in with my sort of wake working patterns and waking up early. So I, I try and wake up five o'clock and do my deep work, partly because I'm doing so much research. That's really important for me. And so generally when I do that, I get up, the phone is downstairs and I go up to sort of the loft and it's just nowhere near me until, you know, whatever, nine o'clock, nine thirty, as long as I can manage it. And I actually my my laptop, if I was getting a phone call, it would ring. So I kind of have some confidence that if somebody needed to ring the urgent reason, that would be there. And we also have a landline. So I, I like the idea that my day starts like that. I am then obviously working on a computer. So there are things that can distract me on my computer, but I, I see those as less awful than the dangers of the phone. And then similarly in the evenings, and I would say this is hit and miss depending on you know where I am with my day. In the evenings, because I'm trying to wake up early, I go to sleep early and I'm pretty good about leaving it charging in the hallway and having just the journal out or whatever and, and doing some diary writing before bed and basically not being on the screen. Don't get me wrong. There are some days when I, I mean, I, I noticed this a few nights ago. I was just like, I was just refreshing. <laughs> I was just busy refreshing my phone. I don't know what, what I was checking for, but I was obviously quite tired and I think I was quite depleted and maybe wanting to just keep, keep going, but I didn't know what for. So that still happens. But overall, I feel like there's a rhythm to my day, uh, which is that it least starts without sort of too much coming my way and finishes that way. And then I kind of let the middle happen because I'm already feeling quite good that I've got over some of my hardest work and things like that in the morning. So one important thing that you mentioned is, you know, having control over your morning and having control over your evening being the crucial aspects. I think because that's related, like the morning is related to how you then set up your day and and where you place your attention for the day. Yes. If you have yes. clarity around that, then you, you really have control over your mind and over your life. And then the same thing with the evening. If you're able to kind of have that be yours, then you're able to optimize your, your sleep and your rest. And that's what is going to help you nourish yourself and care for yourself. Just the only other thing I would say is I've, I've been through phases where I've sort of said, you know, weekend is, you know, no social media. And that's been quite nice. So I do think the weekly thing can be really helpful, though, when you know thinking about which which parts of the week you, you you use certain things. So I would say weekends, and then Monday, I would even say that I wasn't going to use social media, and I found that actually a very helpful rhythm. It meant that I was starting my week again with that very, like you said, you're not sort of just taking in information coming at you. You're you're intentional, and you're being you're kind of in control of it. 
I, I try as much as I can. It doesn't always pan out because there are things going on, but I try as much as possible to have Sundays be phone free, definitely yeah. social media free, but I try yeah. to actually not even have the phone at all. Yeah, so, I've done a few of those, I, which yeah. I really like. I, I went extreme after reading um, <laughs> Cal Newport. And yeah. I, I said, look, I'm not even going to use it to take photos. I'm not going to use it in its messages. So I told my family in advance and you know things like that. And, and I found it really powerful. And that's actually what then has made me want to do these mornings like I do. And I do some some Sundays, I do say that. And I think it's nice to have that day of rest, isn't it? Yeah, I, I find I find that to be the case. And of course, you know, you're, you're traveling or you have to talk to someone and especially in, you know, these times, it's, it's yeah. difficult because you're not really out as much and you do want to connect and, and it might be a nice day to catch up on Sundays, like through Zoom or something like that or FaceTime because you ha- aren't seeing anybody. So I've definitely yeah. been loose with it, especially during yeah. this time as well. The- Exactly. And the only other thing I wanted to add was WhatsApp. I actually find WhatsApp more sort of it sucks me in more these days than not because I'm I'm really into groups. And I've, I don't know about you, but during lockdown, a few so social groups are being really sort of important and fun and a source of great interaction and things. But then sometimes they like I was describing it as there's like a party going on my, my phone at like eight, eight or nine, nine p.m. I think all the parents have put their kids to bed and they're all having like a literally a party on WhatsApp. Um, so I find that actually quite hard to resist sometimes. Um, and so I've definitely been quite good with my WhatsApp now and put the screen time on and things like that. So it's just less because there's not very much you can do with WhatsApp, is it? You can't, you can't yeah. really, like, it's very difficult to limit the way it kind of comes at you other than, um, I think, putting screen time on so that the notifications don't come up. Yeah, um, I have trouble with it, but I have international family and yeah, and all, and it's easy to do the, the chat groups and stuff in there. So I struggle with that one as well. No, and I think you bring up a really good point because there is research that shows that if you add a step, like if you pull down on the screen to search to bring up an app, then you're actually adding mindfulness. So for example, if you don't have yeah. Instagram on your home screen, and you have to actually pull down and search the words, you know, search yep. the letters. As you're typing in, then you're actually able to think like, okay, do I really want to use it? And you continue to add steps and that increases, you know, how much mindfulness you have as opposed to it just kind of being there. So it sounds yes, like you're exactly. doing that with WhatsApp I am well. doing that, but just, just to give you an idea of where I am with my self-regulation, self-control, sort of that alone, you know, putting it not on my home screen would not be enough for me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not enough for me either. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's on another screen, on another folder, like in like, I, I create like 17 steps for me to actually get there. I and mean, sometimes the mindfulness doesn't come even 17 <laughs> steps into it so that's why yeah. I'm taking a year you know so <laughs> but I think it's important you know you learn about yourself and I think it's important to not say oh I'm bad or I'm not good at self-control it's just like okay these are the things that are not really working and how can I make it so that it does work for me so that I can absolutely. optimize you know my own absolutely yeah how do you optimize all the supporting things as well to make it easy for yourself to do yeah. that so you mentioned you know when you were starting to talk about your routine the fact that you wake up at 5 a.m I'm deeply curious about this so can you get into why you made that choice and, and some of the research behind that yeah, so there's a book called The 5am Club, which is Robin Sharma, who is a great, I, I've always read his stuff. And I think you and I connected that we, we both read some of his books. Uh, diplomatically, I would say 
his was not necessarily the sort of the book for me, but I still read it because a client had actually recommended it to me. And I just, I wanted to see what he had to say on this topic. But the the people who've really inspired me on this are my favorite podcasters, uh, Laura Vanderkam and Sarah Hartunger. They do, between them, I think they now do about four podcasts. And the, one of them, uh, she's she wakes up at, I don't know, 4.30 or 5 o'clock. And she kind of made, the concept seemed really fun because she had a coffee machine that was basically ready with freshly brewed coffee for her at 5am. And she talked about all of these sort of little things regularly. She's a huge planner as well. So they have over the years, I've literally listened to them uh, for about three years now, they have turned me into, I was already a bit of a list maker, but they've turned me into a full on planner. And they just give lots of little things. So they, you know, Sarah's talked about, uh, Laura's talked about the, the actual, the challenge being around going to sleep early and the, the trade-offs there, because, you know, if you go to sleep at nine, I've actually, because I've got a Fitbit, I've started to notice that I, I think I need less sleep when I go to sleep at nine. I, I kind of wake up really bright and fresh. I, I don't set an alarm to wake up at five. So I think, but the, the challenge is going to sleep at that time. You know, there's so many temptations at that hour. Like I said, for me, there's sometimes a party going on on my phone. So, but then having exercised this habit now for so long I've just seen the benefits and I I love everything about it I love the coffee I love the quiet I love the idea that halfway through that that stretch I can go out and do exercise and and I guess it's just it kind of is a bit of a mixture of you know the Cal Newport deep work he wrote deep work as well which was this is before he wrote digital minimalism and it was all about how we you know it's too much of, you know, a typical day is spent in that sort of distracted work mode and being more an autopilot. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a lot of different factors that have influenced me doing this. And I think a natural, I've always been a bit of a morning person, but it kind of through layers of going to work and being employed. And I think it just sort of got buried away. So it's just been nice to sort of unearth this and, you know, the, the benefits of it. You know, you never... You never regret waking up early. Right? Yeah. You only really regret sleeping in. Um, I find <laughs> you have the day then. It's, it's yours. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I guess I would say, you know, would I do it if I didn't have little kids? I don't know. Because mm. I think it's been partly a necessity, you know, from a productivity perspective. Would yeah. I want to do that if I if I didn't so I guess that would be one thing but then the, the flip side of it is my poor friends that have like little kids they're like we can't do this right now and I'm like neither could I like you know my, my youngest is now four and it's only been possible in the last like year or so so it's tricky you know do you want to do it when you don't have kids and can you do it when you do <laughs> so I just happen to be at the right time you know to, to do that but I, I really I do feel like I have to be very careful if I talk about it you know, online or anything, because I never want to be a sort of the zealot about something. And I did find actually the 5am club a little bit, uh, sort of a bit over, what's the word, evangelistical about it. And I, I never want to do that because as a coach, I always want to encourage a really compassionate approach and that we do things that feel, you know, right for us right now and that's why I'm not setting an alarm because I want it to feel like a natural thing for me I don't want it to be driven by um you know an external thing that's yeah if you have a newborn child you maybe the 5am club is not really going to work for you right now or whatever the case may be but I think like you had mentioned before too with just experimenting with different things I think that's really key to really understanding yourself, like trying out yeah. different types of practices, trying out different types of habits to see 
what makes you feel the best so that you can then integrate those into your life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, you know, as you were talking, there's one thing that I, I wanted to add about, you know, these decisions uh, that we make around social media. And for me, I'm a bit of an opportunist. So, you know, I love, I love connecting with people. I love the idea that, you know, you could by by going, I was always the one that would go to the work drinks or, you know, would go to the random events because I always think that by doing those things, you kind of you just expand your horizons. And so that person in me means that I always want to have a presence on, you know, different platforms where I might have that opportunity to have connections or sort of discover a mutual interest with somebody that I've always known. So for example, there's, there's one old colleague that I used to work with, and it turns out that we have similar tastes in music, but we only know this because of Instagram stories. And I, I just love those things because we could have completely lost touch by now otherwise. So for me, it's always about, you know, what, what are the benefits of these? And are they important to you? Do they like serve your values? And for me, they definitely do because I love that. Like I said, I love the idea of sort of connection and meeting different people who you feel very connected to, but you may never have come into contact with. So those would be some of my drivers. And I would always want to be asking people like, what matters to you and can, can the platform serve you? And I think you know, I'm, I'm going to follow, you know, your journey and your discussions around the ethics, because I do think they're important. Uh, but I guess for me, I want to encourage that agency and individual. So, you know, yes, we want, we want the ethical, um, we want it to be ethically done and we want that, that to be there. But in the meantime, you know, are we going to be serving ourselves and others better by engaging in certain ways or by, uh, you know, not engaging or by you know how how we best going to do that and it's it's different for everybody but I think it's really important to ask yourself those questions yeah I totally agree I think yeah the important part is like in the meantime right and like you said because the journey of technology becoming more ethical is is really a journey <laughs> you know it's really a journey people are exactly. just waking up to it and and you know, legal pressure, it's going to take a while, like it takes a long time for these things to be changed in a systemic way. Okay. Yeah, I'm always in the meantime, because you know, what we, we, I remember we, we were having a conversation about, you know, what's the future, you know, how does it look in the future? Or how do you, but, but for me, I'm like, I can only really see how it is now and figure out what's the best thing to do now and, and let that keep happening, you know, so in, in, in a year's time, things might be better or worse systemically. And I, I will be saying, okay, so how do we as individuals work with that? And psychologically, how do we work with that and make it work for us? Yeah, for sure. I think it's a push and pull, right? Like we as yeah. individuals inform society and then society also informs us. So we, we have to kind of work with what's already here and yeah. express ourselves in a way of, of what we want to see as well. So I think having yes. that, yeah, having that perspective a little... I want to switch gears because I want to actually hear a little bit about your own experience with spirituality and how does spirituality play a role in your life currently? So I, I came to spirituality, I would say, relatively early on, and I was very interested in it and did the Vipassana meditation quite early in my life. I think I was 18 or 19. And so that has always been with me, that sort of 10-day silent meditation. I think it just got me to a place with meditation and got me to a sort of a place of understanding you know that that I think would have been a lot harder otherwise or I had tried to achieve it otherwise through reading and you know sort of trying to meditate but I I really needed that intense experience of it and then where I am now is that I think I would like it to be 
much more integrated into my everyday. Instead, I think I rely on it when I'm sort of in times of stress or I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed or I'm going through difficult times. It's there for me, meditation. Um, I use, right now, I, I listen to Joe Dispenza. He's my meditation guy. His book was um, Being Supernatural or Becoming Supernatural. And he's got a few meditations. I just think it's fun to uh, listen to different people's, you know, um, meditation styles and what resonates for you. And what I like about him is he does a bit of a breathing warm up first. And it's really, um, I find it really funny, but it also quite energizing. And then he does a really long, well, I consider it to be long because it's sort of, I think, an, more than an hour long um, meditation. And the best I manage right now is is once a week. I'm not managing to do it, I would say, on a daily basis. And in fact, I spoke to talking to my coach because I, I feel feeling the pressure right now with the different research projects and deadlines. And she actually mentioned, um, you know, meditation, spirituality to me. And she was like, you know, you know, this might be really helpful to you right now. I don't know what your practice is or whether you kind of are interested in those things. I was like, of course I am. But I've almost got to a point where, I almost thought I was too busy for meditation or, you know, too busy for spiritual practice. And it was just nice for her to, you know, remind me that actually that's probably the thing that's going to help me when I am feeling the most, you know, busy and stressed. So I think where I am with it is that I, I got my tools and I, I, I can slip into a, a, a nice meditation, seated meditation quite, quite easily. But I want to get better at really making that part of my day to day rather than when I'm at a low point or whatever but it's it's definitely a big a big part you know has been a big part of my life and has helped me in in difficult times I do think I could be using it more to to serve sounds a bit selfish isn't it but I, I could be making more use of it yeah I don't think that's selfish I mean it's mm-hmm. it's it's for you it's nice that you had a really deep experience with it early yeah. on in your life that like you yeah. said, you can just access whenever you need it. Cause I do think that's part of it. And I'm sure there are ways that you integrate. I mean, just from talking to you, like you have a lot of mindfulness around the things that you do, even just time blocking your life and, and the early wake up and all these types of things. So I think you probably integrate it into your life more than you realize it, like in a kind of an informal way. It sounds yeah, like absolutely. Uh, as opposed absolutely. to, you know, just like sometimes we think of spirituality as like just the seated formal practice or going to, you know, a holy place or whatever, like the retreat aspect of it. But I, I like to think of it also as how do we sort of integrate it into our day-to-day experience, you know, because absolutely. we are just beings ultimately and how do we kind of tap into the the human side of who we are yes Um, exactly and and I was I was talking to somebody about this and talking about how you know how does one fit it more into one's life and 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 they were saying oh you know you can do it when you're out walking because I'm love my walking in nature I'm like no 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 when I'm walking I need my podcast on I need like my music and I need all my things and so as much as I love being in the woods I actually that for me is a time to really think and take in new ideas and content and you know it's not actually a time for (laughs) super mindfulness you know so I, I am a bit of a seated a seated meditation kind of person and it was just nice to realize that because I think it's it's always nice to realize what your style is everyone's different right some people hate seated meditation I have to say mine is actually more lying down meditation but yeah I agree no some people yeah a walk in the woods is like a deeply spiritual profound experience or painting is a deeply spiritual profound experience and then for some of us it is that like very deep stillness and a seated posture or lying down posture, right? Where, where you can tap into it. Yeah. I think it just, you know, it matters. It matters to whatever is important 
in your life and how you kind of perceive the world. And I think that's, that's sort of the theme of, you know, everything that we've talked about that no one size fits all for how to live your life, for how to use your technology or how to be spiritual. It's, there are so many different techniques and you have to experiment and try them and see what really works for you and then stick yeah. to it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I just think it's such a great question that you've asked in the context of all of this, because it's also made me think about, you know, how I then in the context of social media, I, I do think there is more scope for the blending, you know, making that connection. And I, and there, there have been a couple of studies that I've come across that I need to look into more detail, but that there is potential there. And it's just about, again, thinking about how that can take place, you know, over social media. And I'm sure you, in what you're interested in, what you do, you've probably come across some accounts that do it really well and authentically. And then you probably also come across uh, people that you think maybe it's not it's not as uh, genuine or whatever as, as you might like and things like that. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're spot on with that. The authenticity behind it is is really key. I, I think especially with everything that's been going on and, and some of these social justice movements, people are waking up to the fact that authenticity is incredibly important on these platforms in various ways. Absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, all of the, you know, the the misinformation online, again, as from the research, what I would say is one of the drivers is learning and uh, education and information seeking. And if that is one's driver for being online, then I think it's so important to then say, okay, well, how are you going to make sure that that is a good representation that you're, you know, not being misinformed, that you're fact checking, that you're not in an echo chamber and all of those things. So again, I would go back to like why somebody's using it and then figure out if they're using it for those purposes, then how do you do that in a way that's actually constructive? Um, yeah, no, that's, that's yeah. really important because yeah, if you're going on saying, oh, I'm, I'm the type of person that likes educational content, are you taking those extra steps? Like, are you just leaving it at an Instagram that some random account that you follow has said something and you think it, you take it as absolute truth, then you also have to question your own perspective on like, what does it mean to be educated and, and how do you kind of consume education as well? Exactly. Um, But then, you know, on the other hand, you know, as a lot of the social justice movements have been sharing recently, you know, a lot of what we learn in the more formal environments hasn't always been true either. And there's been a lot of history that hasn't been told. So I think, you know, you could you could extend that even more broadly, couldn't you? Yeah. Think about all the different sources of information that we receive. Yeah, that is such a good point. And just thinking about, you know, using Google, like so many of us just say, oh, I'll Google it, I'll Google it. And we take so much of what we Google as absolute truth as well. But we're forgetting that it is a business and they need to make money. So whatever they're going to put at the top is really mostly from advertisers. So whoever has given them the most amount of money to put their you know, search results yeah. at the top, that's what's going to be out there. And that might not necessarily be true. So there's yes. so many layers of authenticity and truth, especially online. Exactly. And, you know, so now, you know, I think a lot, a lot of the times it's via social media, people think they're able to actually, you know, spread messages that are worth hearing that are not being heard otherwise. So it can go the other way. And there's that, that ability to garner, you know, mass, mass support and interest in things that wasn't there before. So it can work, you know, in all the different ways, content, 
I listened to one of your previous episodes that talked a little bit more about that and how it can be used positively for social change. And so it's just, it's, it's another, it's another form of information that is out there and it comes with its own challenges, but we, we would be naive if we thought that all the other sources <laughs> were not also loaded and biased and, you know. Yeah, there's, there's so much about what's happening in the world right now. That's, I think, helping a lot of people unlearn and unpack what is learning and, and how do we understand things and how do we even go about asking the right questions and stuff like that. So yeah, because it, yeah. There, there is, there's so many sides of it. I just wanted to ask, you know, at the end here, if there's any final words of advice that you would like to share with the audience about how to maintain a sense of being human or being a spiritual being in this, in this age of technology? They're, they're pretty sort of well-used words, but if I would say two words, I would say reflection and connection. And I, I, I know they're a bit on the cheesy side, but I think when we reflect, we can then choose to be intentional about what we do. And I think if we can do that, whether it's written, whether it's diaries or coaching or just you know great conversations, uh, we can then think about how we choose to do things and we can just create that pause and then you know connection because I think it's just more important than ever I personally am just really valuing physical in contact presence now you know there's only so much through zoom so I would say it's the two words and the interplay between those two thank you can you just share with the audience your you know where people can find you yeah so the instagram is just my name so it's at Maya Goodka. Uh, I then I'm doing Twitter as um, positive social media. So I think you still find me at Maya Goodco actually, but then you'll see that it says positive social media. Uh, so those would be the starting points. And from that, you can get to website and things like that. Oh, and if you're, not on, yeah, if you're not on social media, then you could just go to my website, which is mayagoodka.com. M-A-Y-A-G-U-D-K-A.com. Great. And I'll have all those links in, in the show notes on technicallyspiritual.com as well. So thank you so much, Maya, for taking the time to be here. It was such a pleasure to talk to you and learn from you. I really appreciate it. It's great to talk to you. I had a fantastic time and just really interesting conversations actually making me go away and think as well. So Awesome. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. It's always a pleasure having you here. I really appreciate your attention and I hope that you took something away from this episode. If you'd like to learn a little bit more, you can go to technicallyspiritual.com and click on this episode. You will be able to access all the show notes about everything that we discussed. As always, feel free to explore the website and reach out if you are interested in joining a meditation class or hosting a private event for your team or yourself. I hope that you have a peaceful rest of your day. Take care.